Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. It's week three of Legacy, which is an incredible uh, privilege to be able to share it with you. Uh, week one, we looked at the, a trip down 10th Avenue. 10th Avenue was a reference to tithing. We did not want this legacy campaign to be a time where we robbed Peter to pay Paul. We wanted to be on a foundation that we understood the principle of tithing. And if you have questions about that, please get online, have a listen, because what we shared, I think, was well thought out. I believe it was easy to follow and hopefully it will help you to understand why we do what we do as a church. And so that was the tithe and we talked about that. What we don't want to be is a church that rob, robs Peter to pay Paul. What we don't want for you to do is to take what you would normally give on a weekly basis and then put that into legacy. We believe that the tithe honours our past. We believe the tithe is us saying, God, we realise that all we have is from you. And any money that we've been able to earn is because you gave us air to breathe, that you gave us gifts, you gave us talents, you gave us a brain, you gave us a mouth, you gave us hands. There's nothing that we could have achieved on our own by ourselves. And so this is an opportunity to say, God, we want to give back to you something in acknowledgement that we know that we would not, would not be able to do that if it were not for your goodness, kindness and grace. So to me, the tithe is honouring the past. But legacy is about sowing into and honouring our future. I, I love our past, but I, I love our future too. In actual fact, when we celebrate our 25th anniversary, which is only this week, I mean, it's one week away. I mean, really, church, you, you've got to just keep the whole weekend free. We're starting Friday night. We've got some leadership time on Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, and then we're meeting again Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's going to be an incredible time of celebrating. And what are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the past. You know, we've invited people who have been part of our church who are no longer part of our church because we realise without them, this church would not exist. And so it's a come one, come all. We want to honour the past because I want you to know that some of you are living in a building and uh, enjoying some music that uh, you didn't do a lot to actually get, but there are people that have gone before you who have sowed and given and given and sowed and sowed and given. And it would be wrong of us and it would actually be rude not to acknowledge our past. Who, who agrees with that? And that's what tithing is about. It's about realising actually we wouldn't be here if it was not for God and we would not be here if it were not for some incredible people in our past and we want to acknowledge and thank God for our past. Having said that, we don't want to be that church that lives in our past. I mean, I don't want to be that pastor that just talks about the good old days and the glory days and that it was so much better back then and the young people aren't like they used to be and all that. I don't want to be that guy. I really don't. So yes, we want to honour the past, but we want to embrace our future. And that's what the 25th, so they'll be, they'll be honouring the past moments. But you know what? We want to step into our new because I want you to know, I was there in day one. And you know what? Those good old days, when I look back, they weren't that good. It's so much better now, and I believe our future will be so much better, so much bigger, so much brighter into the future. Amen. And so we don't want to be robbing Peter to pay Paul. We actually want to honour the past and embrace our future at the same time. And so when we do that with our finances, we honour the past through tithing, and we embrace our future through our legacy giving. And that's what this is all about. And this is Commitment Sunday. And uh, after my time preaching and our time with our team on the couch, we're going to worship together. 
And we're going to have an opportunity to hand our pledge cards in and just give glory to God for what he's done, but also glory to God for their incredible future and the great things that are to come. Can I hear an amen? And so that was week one. We looked at the tithe. Week two, we looked at the power of all. And I can summarise the message from Acts chapter 4 in this statement. Acts chapter 4 highlights that all the people shared all that they had with all of their heart and surprise, surprise, guess what? All the needs were met. I mean, it's an amazing thought. What can happen when all the people share all that they have with all of their heart? All the needs can be met. I mentioned a young man uh, last week, and I'm going to reference him again today, Thomas McCormack, incredible young man. Uh, He's just celebrated buying his first piece of land to put his first home on. I think that's incredible, and that's worthy of a round of applause. I mean, well done, Macca. 19 years of age, setting up your future at such an early age. Incredible, incredible. But you know what's also incredible about his journey is that he's a young man who's been tithing. He knows what it is to tithe, and yet he's still be able to have money for his future. It's an amazing thing. He's tithing, but I also know this to be true, that he's been praying about what it is that he can give to legacy. And 19 years of age, young man, has a block of land, wants to build his first home. He's a tither. He's actually praying about how he can give. But the early church not only shared their finances, they shared their lives. They shared their time, their talents, and their treasures. And this young man is a, is a builder by trade. That, that's his apprenticeship. And, and so the last three Saturdays now, he's been here at the church. And, and a lot of what you're seeing take place by way of changes in the cafe is because of this young man not only giving of his finances, but giving of his time the last three Saturday mornings, but also of his talents. What he is, he's able to do that I can't do, and many of us aren't, uh, others can't do, he's putting an applying his trade. And so I just want to say, well done, well done, well done. Come on, let's give Macca a round of applause. I love it. Just modelling what we spoke about last week. It's amazing what can take place when all of the people share all that they have with all of their heart. All the needs can be met. Amen. And so I want to share very quickly this morning a thought that I've simply entitled, For Their Sakes. This is going to set up our couch moment for their sakes. Everyone say, for their sakes. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would, turn with me, reading from verse 1. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely On their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, wow, of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in completion, earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you See to it that you excel in the grace of giving. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. I I love what Paul The author of this letter does. Paul is the apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. 
and to encourage the church to give, he does a few things. And, and I want to highlight three things that Paul does when it comes to encouraging and explaining and bringing the church on the journey when it comes to giving. Because this is what I know. When it comes to church and the money, and money people get really funny. Have you noticed that? People get really concerned when you talk about church and money. And Paul does a few things that are really skillful, wise, and hopefully helpful when it comes to this issue of giving. And the first thing he does is he shares a testimony. He says, I want you to know about the Macedonian churches. In other words, he uses the example of other churches to motivate other churches, not manipulate other churches. I want you to get this. He uses other churches to motivate other churches, not manipulate churches. He uses their testimony as an incredible example for other churches to follow. You see, when it comes to giving, there's a few responses. You can not give. That's a response. I wouldn't say it's the best one, but it's a response when it comes to giving. You can choose to flat out, I'm not going to give. Or you can give um, according to your income and, and you can give, uh, you know, based upon what's left over. Or you can give, like the Macedonian churches, in faith. Paul says they not only gave, but they gave beyond their ability. In other words, they added faith. They added super to their natural. In other words, they realised this is what we can afford, but going to God asking Him to speak to them, recognising the great need. They added faith to their natural and the supernatural power of God was released. The Bible says it this way, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's why we've been saying church. We don't want this to be a flippant, whimsical uh, filling out of a card. We've been asking you to think about, pray about. We've spent some time praying and fasting as a church so that it's not just uh, what can I afford. It's not just what's left over. It's actually something deeper than that. It's God, I want you to stretch my faith. I want you to grow me through this experience. And Paul uses these churches as an incredible example of what can take place when you are obedient and you step out in faith. And we're trusting that there'll be a stepping out in faith for each and every one of us over these next few moments. The second thing Paul does, he not only shares a testimony, but he also brings a challenge. He also brings a challenge. Paul says this, he says, I'm not commanding you. And I want you to know, Paul's heart is my heart. We are not commanding you. In other words, Paul's saying, we're not here to twist your arm. We're not here to talk you into. We're not here to grab you by the ankles, turn you upside down and shake all the money out of your pockets. We're not going to do that. And when all the pledge cards come in, we're not going to look at who didn't give and you're not going to get a knock on the door and say, hey, why didn't you give? You know, we're not commanding you. That, that is not the heart, nor is it the spirit behind uh, legacy. Paul's saying, I, I did not command you, but, but then wisely and skillfully says, but I am testing you. I'm not commanding you, but I am testing you. And the area of the test was in the area of the sincerity of their love. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, this is what I know about love. Love is what love does. You will know when someone loves something or someone by what they do. You'll also know when they hate something or someone by what they do. Love is what love does. 
And I love the word love, but I think it's been watered down because we get confused with our love for chocolate or our love for ice cream or our love for sport uh, versus our love for God. And, and, and there are different levels of love. I, I mean, you know, my wife loves chocolate. She does. She loves chocolate. Are there any people out there who love chocolate? Uh, there's something she loves more than chocolate. That would be ice cream. Is there anyone who, who loves ice cream out there? You know, she, she loves ice cream. And, and in actual fact, if I'm really honest and I'm really going to expose her today, uh, she probably loves chips or crisps more than she loves chocolate and ice cream, which, which to me is a waste of calories. I, I think chips really, if you're going to break the calorie budget, why would you use crisps to do it or chips? But, but she loves chips. And that is a genuine love of a life. But you know, personally, I would love to think she loves me more than those things. Just talk about it among yourselves. <laughs> and you know what else? I would love to think she loves God more than me. Why? Because I never made her. I never saved her. I have not been able to help her in ways that only God can. And Paul is trying to test these churches with the sincerity of their love. In other words, he's saying, guys, I know you say you love God. I know you say you love the church. Uh, Paul may have even been saying, I, I know you say you love me, but can I test the sincerity of that love? Can, can we prove how real that love is? How real is it? How deep is your love? And my question for us right now is, how deep is our love? How real is our love? You know, I was reading in the book of Acts as part of my devotions uh, this week, and I saw in the scriptures, something that just, just hit me fair and square between the eyes. And, and it was when Saul, this man who later became known as Paul, who actually wrote this letter that we've been reading from today, but before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of the church. And the Bible says that this man, Saul, went around persecuting the church. He was the one giving approval to Stephen's death. So he was putting Christians to death. He was persecuting the church. And uh, he decided one day to go up to Damascus. And, and uh, he was on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. And, and he had uh, what we know as a Damascus Road experience. Jesus Christ himself appeared before him and uh, he, he was knocked off his high horse, quite literally. And uh, Jesus said these words, and it's what Jesus said that kind of captured my imagination. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, the Bible tells us very clearly he was persecuting the church. But Jesus says, no, no, you don't get it. When you persecute the church, you persecute me. When you speak bad about the church, you're speaking bad about me. This notion that you can be a Christian and love Jesus and hate the church and not go to church and ignore the church is not in the Scriptures. It's actually not in the Scriptures. When we have a problem with the church, Jesus steps in. Paul was persecuting the church and Jesus stepped in. He says, why are you doing this to me? I trust and pray that our understanding of God's love for the church is so great and it's so high. And Paul knew that to be true. And I want us as a church to know this to be true. And Paul uses this reality to bring a challenge to the church and say, hey church, how real is your love? And we have an opportunity to showcase the depth of and the reality of 
the love that we have, not just for God, but also his church, his bride. The church is likened to as the bride of Christ. I don't know too many guys that can have a good friendship with someone if, uh, you know, that guy doesn't like their wife. You know, if you don't like my bride, if you don't like my wife, we're probably not going to be best of friends. Would that be fair to say? And I think Jesus is highlighting that in this point. So how real is your love? Paul shares a testimony. He also brings a challenge. But then he gives them a reminder. He reminds them of what Jesus Christ has done. He says, remember Jesus, though he was rich, yet he became poor. And then he goes further and says, and he tells us why he did that. And he says, it was for your sake. It was actually for our sakes that Jesus left the splendour of heaven. He was born as a, in a humble manger to humble parents. He lived some 33 years. He, he was abused and accused and died a horrific death. He died and rose again. He did all of that for our sake. None of that was for his sake. None of that was for his sake. It was all for our sake. And Paul said, don't, don't forget ever what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, this is what servant leadership is all about. And Jesus modelled it better than anyone, is that we do it for others. You see, over and over again, Jesus doing things for other people. 80% of serving doesn't benefit you. And if we are to embrace a Christ life like, it's to embrace a serving life. In my, in my heart, my desire would be to see every person that calls Victory Church home using their God-given God talents and gifts and willingness just to serve in some capacity. You may look at a church of this size and say, it seems like everything is taken care of. And in measure, you would be right. But wherever it's being taken care of, it's because people are working really hard. And people that are working really hard get tired and tired people need a break. And so when we serve, we're actually giving people a break. And the serving is not about us. I want us to remember this next time we come to church and, and come a little bit later because we think, oh, I don't like that song or I don't like the fast songs or I don't like the loud songs. You know what? The last time I checked, worship isn't about you. Yeah. Yeah. I, correct me if I'm wrong. Worship is actually to God. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's actually about Him. It's all about Him. And Paul is using this as a reminder to say, come on, guys. Remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Ministry is all about us giving, even when we don't feel like giving. It's about showing up when we'd rather stay home. It's about praying for somebody when we ourselves are in desperate need of prayer. You know, people who've been in this church for a while know that I love my dad and appreciate him. And, and one of the greatest joys I've had as a public speaker is that I get to honour him on a regular basis because I don't want to be one of those guys that have only nice things to say at someone's funeral. And uh, when I am part of my dad's funeral, that is assuming uh, I outlive him. And I'm not even sure that that will happen because he's a pretty fit guy and uh, he'll probably live beyond me, but assuming I get the opportunity to be part of his funeral, uh, I'll be able to do it with a smile on my face, knowing that while he was alive, I took moment after moment after moment to honour and to love on him and to declare just what he means to me. And I love him for many reasons, I do, but one of the things that just always blesses me and encourages me is why he comes to church. Because I know this, if it's about him, he doesn't have to. 
My dad does not have to come to church if it was just about him. He certainly doesn't have to come to church to listen to me because most of what I share comes from him. Dad must listen to me week after week and think, I told him that, I told him that, I told him that, I told him that. And it'd be true. It'd be true. There'd be a big part that's true. But he comes not only once a week, but he comes twice a week. He comes in the morning and he comes out and he doesn't have to. And so I ask myself, why does he keep coming? And I know the reason is because it's not all about him. If, if you got wind that Keith Rainbow just stopped coming to church and got jaded with church because of you and you and you and people in general, he knows and you know that that would have an influence and an effect on you. You can't just detach yourself from a family and not expect it to have a ripple effect. And so Dan just comes because he made a decision to love Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus all the days of his life. And that commitment over a long period of time comes because he has a continual reminder of what Jesus did for his sake. And so much of his life is spent doing things for the sake of others. And to me, that is New Testament Christianity. It's what Paul understood. And so Paul shares a testimony. He brings a challenge, but he also gives them a reminder. Like I said all along, this legacy, week three, our commitment Sunday, it's not a money grab. As I've been saying all along, it's really an opportunity for us to partner with God, to partner with this church for a bigger, brighter, better future. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 